Hey y'all, Saman here. You might be familiar with the very thorough annotated transcripts of each episode over on the nostalgiamixtape.com. Well, those annotations are brought to you by our sponsor, Triforce Digital Marketing. Since hiring Triforce to build our website, they've been with us every step of the way, helping us to become WordPress wizards. So if you want to start a website, listen close to the end of this episode, because we're going to share a coupon code for their web hosting services. Big thanks to our sponsor, Triforce Digital Marketing. Now, you ready to get nostalgic? Enough! You want to fight? You fight me, you big, ugly, smelly breath sucker! Oh, how about you? Stream being Rick James looking food beef killing! What up? This is Luke Fiasco. I am a rapper. And what's some good news, man? Good news is that if you listen to this, you're still alive. So get out there and get to living. You know what I'm saying? The first listen to this podcast, the Nostalgia Mixtape. You feel me? Tuned in. <laughs> Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Nostalgia Mixtape. On this episode, we have a guest who has been part of my career since it was just a few months old and has managed to stick around the entire time. You all probably know him as Lupe Fiasco. And when Lupe and I met up to record this episode, it was after one of his concerts. His team was on a tight schedule and they had to get on the road soon but he still made time for me, and that meant a lot. We taped his story in a dressing room at the House of Blues in Houston. And that's the place where I surprised my dad with tickets to see B.B. King. The place where I did my second interview ever with the rappers Slim Thug and Zero. And it's the same place where I once heard DMX tell the story of how he and Scarface stayed up till the wee hours of the morning in a hotel room reading each other Bible verses. Scarface is Muslim now, so go figure. But me and Lupe, we go back to when I was 20 years old. It was the summer before my junior year of college, and I had just been handed the reins to my college TV station's hip-hop TV show. Houston rap hero Trey the Truth was throwing a charity concert, so I decided to drive to Houston and cover it. Lupe was billed to be one of the performers, and because I had made quick friends with Trey's publicist, Nancy Byron, I got an all-access press pass. This concert, you could kind of say, was my first big quote-unquote get. It was humid, and I was sweaty as hell, and I have the pictures to prove it, when I was introduced to another rapper named Troublesome backstage. She invited me and my sister, who was acting as my photographer at the time, and my coworker Tabitha to Bun B's album listening party that night. And when I met her there at a high security compound, she introduced me to one of Bun's managers who went by the name of Bone. And Bone assured me that Bun would do an interview after we were done listening to the album. And true to his word, we did. Bun is a demigod in the South, so I thought it would take me years to ever even meet him. But there I was, standing right next to him, only a few months after I had started my journey. And Lupe was there to witness it. And that's the story of how I met Bun B and Lupe Fiasco for the first time on the same day. But my first interview with Lupe wouldn't happen until the following year. 
And that's a story I'll tell y'all at the end of this episode. So stay tuned and enjoy this quick trip down memory lane with Lupe Fiasco. So, first of all, tell us, like, how old you were, where this takes place. Like, give us, like, the setting first. Like, let's set the scene for the story. I don't know, man. We was just talking about this, how inconsistent your memories are. Right. You start, like, filling in, like, blanks with... (laughs) You start making up stuff that didn't even exist, so you start mix-matching your memories, mitch-matching your memories, right? (laughs) But this is late, so this is like a later thing, because music was such a huge part of our karate school mm. experience. So we would come in, and my father would be playing like all these different kinds of songs, and he would be playing contemporary stuff, and then he would play stuff that was just like uh, genuine to like uh, the martial art, like our martial art experience, in, in the sense that he would have songs that we would do demonstrations to right okay. so we would do karate and kata demonstrations to like specific type of songs mm-hmm. but anyway there was always a soundtrack to our training mm-hmm. and uh one of the soundtracks um was actually a literal soundtrack oh what was it let's see here we go again with the <laughs> memories right but the song is from a soundtrack okay about the martial arts okay um and the movie is uh the last dragon the last so dragon. the last dragon soundtrack is it's like uh, I remember it was, it was driving like to, to Vegas and I remember I like I forgot about the Last Dragon soundtrack mm-hmm. right and then I was like yo I want this you know like the music from my childhood is is like all the music that my father played okay right? and so it was just one of those moments where it was like yo I want to I don't know if it's like, do I want to relive my childhood? It was like, I just had a longing for that sound, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I, I, I don't know if I pulled it off of like a lime wire or pulled it off of something, because it definitely went Apple Music. Had, <laughs> <laughs> it this definitely was pre-Apple went, Music. This was, this was, I forgot where I, where I pulled this from. Okay. Because I, I was like, wow, they got this last dragon soundtrack. Oh my God, I need that. <laughs> Let me get that. And uh, I was doing this road trip in Vegas, and I sat back and just played the whole Last Dragon soundtrack. And it was it was weird because I knew all of the songs, mm-hmm. you know. It's like I knew all of these. Joint uh, summary just through osmosis, right? Or just mm-hmm. being constantly, you know, barraged by the music or whatever. Um, and I mean, it wasn't too much of an eventful for me. I think because I think everybody has things in their life that they feel are just these events, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it's just norm. It's normalized, you know, the craziness that is their life. So for me, the the most interesting moments, the most activated moments, are the moments that are uh, these small, simple moments, right. which kind of bring back up memories of the past, activities of the past, and, and kind of actions and thoughts and that and that thing. So the, the 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 Last Dragon soundtrack still to this day is something that I kind of keep, you know, rocking ever since that 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 road trip to Vegas, and now I just find myself, you know playing whether I'm you know it's 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 such it's 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 such a part of my life now mm-hmm. right that I find myself playing it every time that I'm driving in the car 
every time that I'm running, every time that I'm doing something, the soundtrack mm-hmm. to my life is is the uh, the Last Dragon soundtrack, right? Mm-hmm. Now, does that qualify as an instance of like you know triggered memory or potential, you know, mm-hmm. you know, run you back through a specific period of time and isolate it? And it's like, no, nah, I think it's music for me. It becomes a soundtrack to my life, and if it's something that can stick uh, to me um, and frame my activities and and you know bring me back and give me a certain level of balance because you can kind of get lost right mm-hmm. out here with 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 songs and joints that ain't really tied into your to your upbringing right you try and force them onto yourself and you it has to be something cool or it has to be something that's that's uh that your friends is listening to or something like that right but it's not authentically you so when you go back to what when you rediscover the music that is authentically you right and this is decades later right mm-hmm. you know so i remember watching last dragon i was like probably four five years old right and so you think decades later you know here's this song that you get a longing for it and you find it in some obscure format in some obscure place and then you find yourself it's sticking to you through time it's super interesting so even up to this day it's still a, when i feel when i need to get motivated or i need to get you know it, it's or or go back to a moment of of peace and tranquility because it's such it's such an integral part of my youth mm-hmm. and that's why I found my peace and my tranquility in my youth yeah it's the Last Dragon soundtrack so it's not no rap song it's not no, a rock fine. and roll song it's not yeah. no it's not even what I actively listen to which is classical music it's not even mm-hmm. classical music I mean it's just funny that it's the <laughs> it's the theme songs to the Last Dragon <laughs> right and that's so strange because it's like a, it's a Motown album right so it's like a Motown soundtrack the movie was made by Barry Gordy right? I didn't know that um the songs on there is like Willie Hutch uh-huh. right and the Temptations mm-hmm. right but it's like in the 80s It's just, it's, it's, it feels strange that that is the preeminent music, you know, probably the most listened to music, you know, on my iPhone, uh, <laughs> iTunes account or whatever it is, is this, uh, that that is the most listened to, potentially could be the most listened to is this, you know, black kung fu movie soundtrack <laughs> from the, but it's so real to me, you feel me, it's like so close to what I do and where I've been from, martial arts and all that, and it has all these memories of my father and all these memories of just doing the martial arts and you know speaks to me philosophically like actually genuinely listen to the lyrics which may come across as like corny right because mm-hmm. they talking about bruce Leroy and show enough and the glow and all this stuff and but it's like this real to me so i found myself like yeah i'm gonna get the glow even even <laughs> to this day like they're 36 years old talking about something five when he was five years old like kids running around talking about wakanda forever and all that right now right? <laughs> i'm still running around talking about i'm gonna get the glow What uh, age range would you have been when you were doing those demonstrations, those karate demonstrations? Uh, we used to do karate demonstrations since I was a baby, man. So since wow. I was probably like, 
because I was old enough to walk. Uh, we was doing some form thereof or some type of martial art demonstration, mm-hmm. breaking boards, breaking bricks, uh, getting stuff cut off of us. We was probably too young for that, though, but, <laughs> you know, doing parades and, you know, my, my martial art roots go way, 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 way back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, if you if you can kind of think about, like, when your dad would put on the Last Dragon soundtrack, who is that kid, who's that young Lou who's listening to it? Like, if you had to describe him, since I never got to meet him. Well, I mean, that was the thing. I never. I don't think my father used to play, to, to, to be clear. I don't think my mm. father used to play the Last Dragon soundtrack, right? Okay. What he, you, what he definitely played was uh, sound was the soundtrack for Rocky. Okay. Right? So he would play, he would play War yeah Vince the cola and it was that <laughs> and i and it's funny because i've never even seen the movie right mm-hmm. um but i he had the soundtrack i mean you always say like man i hate that movie like why they waste all this good music on that terrible movie but rocky rocky wasn't that bad i think it was rocky three or something like that it wasn't that bad <laughs> but anyway He's a fighter, boxer, judo champion, all that. So he was, mm-hmm. you know, he knew what fighting looked like. But, but I don't remember him playing the Last Dragon soundtrack specifically. Okay, I just remember we used to watch the movie all the time. Uh, okay, the, just, the music is embedded in the film, right? So okay. you, you can't, it's, you can't separate the music from the film. That the, the film is actually driven by the music. So I've seen that in every format, in every probably from Betamax to VHS to DVD to to whatever. I've seen Last Dragon so many times; it don't make no sense. <laughs> Um, him playing it, him introducing us to it, and I mean, we was, we was just talking about this earlier. It was talking about when I, when I was a little kid, I used to be scared at the uh, at the beginning of the Last Dragon. I think it's Tri- TriStar Films. Oh, the horse. The horse. <laughs> I remember that because I thought the horse was gonna jump out the screen, and I would go hide behind the couch because I thought the horse was gonna jump out the stri- out the screen, like keep running and jump out. The I thought oh, the horse was gonna jump out the screen. Um, but that's the Last Dragon, right? TriStar Films, I think. Mm-hmm. It was on that. So, or I could be wrong. Somebody fact check me. But we'll, we'll see, right? I mean, I was uh, during that period of time. I mean, I mean, I was. I don't even know. I don't even. I don't think I had a, a, a perception of myself mm-hmm. uh, to even describe myself. You know, I was just a little, little nappy head karate kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, running around karate uniform. Or, you know, doing whatever my daddy had us doing or whatever my mama had us doing. I remember I always used to kiss my mama when she used to leave, go to work. So I remember I was that. I remember like my mama, right? Mm-hmm. My mama. Same. So I don't think I was a mama's boy, but I mean, my daddy used to whoop us, so that was kind of like funky. But he was still a karate man. Uh, if I was karate man, we was the karate kids, you know, and I was the youngest boy, so I was the baby boy. Ragtag, running around, playing in the neighborhood. You know, just experiencing no real self-direction, you know, no self-identity. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out who you were. Not really. I wasn't even trying to figure out who I was. Oh, okay. I mean, you trying to, when you think you look back at such a young age, you ain't really thinking about what you want to be, mm-hmm. you know, or who you are. You're just existing, absorbing mm-hmm. information until you make that decision what you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so even thinking about it now, I can't even really define you know what I was or who I was. Other than that, other than I was like the karate kid. Yeah, father was the military dude, so he's the. Uh, those are the memories I have: was military and karate. Mm-hmm. Normal life was just like. Yeah, there's just like just just normal kid stuff. Yeah. Was there a um, musician or an actor or a politician or a leader who 
meant the world to you at that time? No, you know, because it was so young. It was no, mm. you know, the world was extremely small to me. Mm. You know, um, big things was huge. You know, our house was huge. Even though I went back and looked at it years right. later, our house was like normal size. Right? But when you can fit under the couch. Yeah, when you fit on the couch, slide on the bed, and yeah. hide behind all type of stuff, it was like, oh, this is insane. But I really didn't have no uh, folks. I didn't really have no no uh, iconic figure mm. like that, whether to be despised or to be uh, uh, applauding of, right? I didn't really have no, those those kind of figures in my life at that moment. It was still just my mom and my daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no there was no need for it. You know, was no need to have no none like that. In my life, I just probably didn't start getting that until much, much later. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was actually when somebody asked you, like, you know, who do you want to, you know, who do you want to be like, you know, on like as an activity in school or something like that. Right. You know? It was like I don't know. No. You feel me? I I definitely feel you. Is there a <laughs> a lesson from your your mom or your father that you carry with you? Um, yeah, my father always said, die well, mm. you know, so, I mean, I hold that dear, and where it comes from, and all of the, the philosophy and martial training that, you know, would present that type of statement to be made, die well, you know, live your best life, as they say now, it's kind of a cliche, but it was, you know, people talking about that for decades, forever, right, live your best life. So when you when you die, you have a meaningful death. You know, you can die with some, if not dignity, you can die with some level of acknowledgement, recognition of your your life in the world has been of value to the world and other people. That's how my father, you know, met his end was in the same capacity to so many people that can, you know, pay tribute to my father for the direction in their lives. You know, he died well. Um, I mean, my mama, she just teach me, you know, be be intellectual, think through things, and critique things, et cetera, be a critical thinker, you know, so that's just less of a mantra or a phrase to live by, more of a, a process or a total mentality to kind of have, so. I'm such a mirror image of competing with my father and my mom, mm-hmm. you know, be, trying to be multi-talented and multifaceted. So you're always up to something, always building something. Then kind of having that entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, building things from scratch and, you know, always, always constantly figuring out where you can, you know, invest your time and efforts to build things up, you know, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm I'm very close with both my parents, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like that's one of the things that I identified with in you when we first started hanging out was I felt like there was like so much um, like respect and appreciation for your own parents. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. That's really cool. That you got to you literally met my whole family. Did yeah, you know I have. Met <laughs> Everybody think about your aunt, right? Like your oh yeah, Hanan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it on TV. I think yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that one video with her and Don Lemon? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> remember that, yeah. 
So yeah, I've seen the whole the whole Ashwari flame. <laughs> um, okay, the last thing I want to I want to ask you about just because you were singing it earlier. What which Sonic theme song were you singing? I said I don't know which Sonic. So Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon. Okay. Right? There were two versions of the Sonic Hedgehog's cartoon. There was like this original version, and there was the later version. Mm-hmm. The later version was a little more kitty, kitty kind of badly drawn. The mm-hmm. first version was insane. And I remember when I was a shorty, my homeboy, his name was Ata. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he had like, you don't know it at the time, but you know, looking back on it, you can see like, oh, he was kind of like an introvert, mama's boy, or family boy kind of, kind of thing, right? He mm-hmm. wasn't... He, 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 I mean, he was one of them kids that had, like, the Nintendo, and, you know, I say that lightly, but, you know, now, like, it's not a thing, but back then, when you, when you ain't got a Nintendo, the person who has a Nintendo is the man. Right. So, I remember he had a Nintendo and the whole thing, and I remember him introducing me to the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon. Okay. And I couldn't, I was like, the the song was so dope, and for some reason he knew the song, and I don't I don't remember if he had them all on videotape. Mm-hmm. It was some strange way that I got introduced to Sonic the Hedgehog, and I remember he had the tapes, or we came came over and, and watched the cartoon together or something like that, and uh, he knew the song, and I was like, man, <laughs> this is a really good song, and I don't know if it was like to be like him or whatever. But I was like, I remember this song, and I'm, and so you, you know, this is when you look kids, mm-hmm. and then you fast forward, and it's like, fast forward up to about like maybe two years ago, maybe three <laughs> years ago, and I remember Charles Hamilton, right? So Charles Hamilton, you know, uh-huh. that's his jump, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is is Sonic, right? He 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 think he signed to Hedgehog, right? <laughs> but that's his that's his lick, right? Sonic, right? And I remember like. I don't know if he posted up something about about the uh, maybe the intro to the cartoon or something like that because mm. he pulled cues from Sonic and visual cues and post up stuff and I was like, yeah, I remember the cartoon. I remember the song. Like, oh, I remember the song because I I remember watching the thing so many times just mm. to learn the song and I wouldn't even watch the cartoon. The cartoon was cool. It was the intro which was dope. Mm-hmm. And watch it on Charles Hamilton Twitter or something like that, and it triggered. I was like, "Oh, yo!" So I went on YouTube to find it, <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, it was there—the original theme song, "Sound of Hedgehog." And I probably sat and watched that thing probably like 15, 20 times, <laughs> just sitting on YouTube and just sitting there, too fast, speed by Sonic the Hedgehog. I was like, "Oh yeah!" So that's yeah, <laughs> I was saying earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Sonic, he's the I know. I know. You said that at, at the masjid that you went to growing up, that there were a lot of Palestinians. But were your parents like up on it too, or was that something you discovered on your own? No, no. My mom. My mom uh, took her shahada and converted, and then my father. My father took his shahada and converted, and they were. I think they was. They kind of had the same intermediary, mm-hmm. and uh, they was look. She. He was looking for a husband. She was looking for a wife. <laughs> oh, that was. She was. He. She was looking for a husband. He was looking for a wife. <laughs> 
and then they 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 got introduced at the mosque, and then they got married oh, like two wow. weeks after they got after they met, and then that was the every everybody that was born in that in that marriage was Muslim. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So, but so I guess as a family, even before you were born, they kind of like became aware of Palestine just through the masjid. Yeah. So the dude that married them was uh, his name is Muhammad Salah. Uh-huh. Uh, he was uh, not the soccer player. Not soccer player, <laughs> but uh, he was a teacher, and it was he was a teacher at the school in Chicago. It's called it's Bridgeview, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago, which is like a big population of Palestinians. So I mean, he we my father would teach at the mosque and teach the kids and teach the school and and do all that stuff. So that was like his main man, and he was all about the struggle in Palestine and stuff like that. So each guy introduced his whole family and then whole. And we was to open up a karate school, open up a karate program at school out there and teach out there. So you just, you we just a part of the community, you know, and you just kind of get educated to what's going on. But you're actually seeing the people come back from Palestine. Right. I mean, this dude came back, he was shot through the mouth, it was all type of craziness that was going on. So, I mean, we always had a, just a, a connection, a natural connection because of that, right? Okay. Like the dude who married my mother and father was, you know, was part of the Palestinian struggle. So. Wow, that's crazy. Thanks for, thanks for telling that story. I never knew that part. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Sam, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. Salam alaikum. Thank you, Salam. Hit the mic, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Hope I added value yeah. to the podcast. No, you did. Everyone's story has been really unique so far, and nice. so is yours. Nice. Never had a soundtrack yet. Swag. There you go. First Blood, The Last Dragon. <laughs> Produced by Barry Gordy. Oh, and wait. Do you agree that Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z is black? He's definitely green. <laughs> it's just, you know, people are talking about it. I kind of I kind of believe it. We'll, we'll have to see. Okay. All right. We'll let, we'll let him speak for himself. Indeed. Okay. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Or I should say shukran. So look, there's been a lot of talk about discount codes happening in this episode, and this is the part where we're going to tell you what it is. So thanks to our good friends, Triforce Digital Marketing. Just head on over to their triforcewebhosting.com page, click on the hosting tab, choose an option, add it to your cart, and when you get there, type in the discount code NOSTALGIA, that's N-O-S-T-A-L-G-I-A, that's NOSTALGIA. And when you punch that in, something cool might happen. You might get a little discount. And that's all thanks to our sponsor, Triforce Digital Marketing. So, in case you were wondering, my first interview with Lupe was in 2011, shortly after he released his album Lasers, featuring two songs with shout-outs to the Palestinian territory of Gaza. He'd mentioned both Palestine and the Israeli occupation on his two previous albums, But this was the first time that these references felt urgent. When I heard those two songs, Words I Never Said, and The Show Goes On, I knew I had to ask Lupe about them, because who else was going to? So Trey and his publicist Nancy, once again, looked out for me. They invited me to a hotel around the corner from that same House of Blues. That night was the Trey and Friends concert, and Lupe was to be one of the surprise guests. When I showed up to the hotel, Trey asked me if I wanted to interview anyone, and I said I'd love to interview Lupe. He grabbed Lupe's shoulder and asked if 
he minded doing an interview with me, and Lupe obliged. It was one of the few times I had ever been truly nervous in an interview, and I think you can see that when you go back and look at the footage. But, nevertheless, I persisted. And so I have the cool distinction of being the first person to interview Lupe about referencing Palestine in his lyrics. You know, I'm sure a lot of my Palestinian friends can relate to this feeling of so desperately wanting to be seen and acknowledged. You know, I think comedian Aaron Cater put it best when he said, if talking about Palestine is taboo, imagine how it feels being Palestinian. And when Lupe said those things in his songs, we felt acknowledged, we felt seen. And that was such a great feeling. And I'll never forget when he performed at the BET Awards later that year, he did Words I Never Said, and he had like a Palestinian sash hanging from his microphone stand. And it was one of the best feelings I can remember of my early 20s. Just like, oh, here's someone who gets what we're going through, who, who feels it deeply. And for a long time after my interview with Lupe came out, I'd meet young Palestinians and they would recognize me from it. It was kind of like, I guess you could say a moment of awakening for me, where I realized this could be one of my things. And since then, it's been a mission of mine to have those kinds of conversations with artists I admire. And it all started with Lupe. So, anyway, a very long-winded way of saying um, I hope you enjoyed listening to Lupe's stream of conscious introspection on karate, lessons from his parents, the unreliability of memory, and how the last dragon will always remind him of his father. That's something I definitely relate to, and uh, I know that for the rest of my life there are certain things that will always remind me of my parents, and that's kind of a sweet thing. So it's really nice that Lupe has something, you know, whether it's karate or the last dragon or whatever, that will always bring him back to that connection between him and his parents. Yeah. So that was another episode of the Nostalgia Mixtape. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Samana Shrawi. And um, this podcast is produced, as always, by the magnificent Jason Crow. Catch you next time. Up, I just laugh, put my kicks up on they desk, unaffected by they threats, then get busy on they ass, see that's how that shit tell me, man, that's how my daddy raised me, that glittering may not be gold, don't let nobody play me, if you are my homeboy, you never have to pay me, go on and put your hands up, when times is hard, you stand up, L-U-P the man, cause a brand that the fans trust, so even if they ban us, they'll never slow my plans up.
in here Two in the air for the father that's there Three in the air for the kids in the ghetto Four for the kids that don't wanna be there None for the niggas trying to hold him back Five in the air for the teachers not scared To tell those kids that's living in the ghetto That the niggas holding back that the world is theirs Yeah, yeah, the world is yours I was once that little boy Terrified of the world Now I'm on a world tour I will give up everything Even start a world war For these ghetto girls and boys I'm rapping around the world for Africa to New York Haiti then I detour Oakland out to Oakland Gaza Strip to Detroit Say hip hop only destroy Tell them look at me boy I hope your son don't have a gun And never be a D-boy you into no matter what you see when you look outside your window brown grass or green grass picket fence or barbed wire never ever put them down you just lift your arms higher raise them to your arms higher let them know you there that you struggling surviving that you gonna persevere yeah ain't nobody leaving nobody going home even if they turn the lights out the show is going on